How can leaders create a roadmap for leading teams and building trust in the complex world of hybrid working? You're very welcome to the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. This week, we're joined by Paula Milligan, the Managing Director of the Lalo Consultancy Business, who argues that in order to thrive in a hybrid environment, we have to be fast, intentional and dynamic while accepting and getting comfortable with change. Paula spoke about the rise of the hybrid team culture at a webinar as part of the IMI corporate membership proposition. I started off my chat with Paula by asking her what agility looks like in the new world of work. I think I probably even bounce off a quote that I think frames it really well. I think there's a quote from Charles Darwin and it's more or less saying that it's not the most intellectual or strongest of the species that survive, but the one that is able to adapt and best um, move towards a changing environment in which it finds itself. So it's that sort of analogy that organizations that have been able to show agility, have been able to sort of pivot and innovate and get in front um, of of the challenges that a global pandemic presented itself, um, we are now seeing are really starting to sort of come out the other side and thrive. Um, I think in terms of our ability to be agile, there's never been a more relevant time in order to be able to start bringing that skill set into our leadership. Um, And because we're all aware that some organizations have ceased to exist as a result of this incredibly challenging time. And like I say, there are others who have pivoted and innovated and gone in front of the challenge of a global pandemic and flourished as a result. So I think being agile at an individual, team and organisational level is probably one of the most necessary qualities needed to deal with rapid and turbulent change. And I think change is going to be a real part of our normal um, moving forward. Um, So in terms of, uh, to answer your question, you know, what does this actually look like? In the new world of work, I think it starts with our leaders, and I'm always going to think it starts with our leaders. Um, I think it's got a lot to do with mindset, so having an agile mindset and recognizing that sustainable agility is a deeply rooted and culture-enabled approach. So it has to come from within the organization, the leadership, and the culture itself, and that approach has to promote and embrace change. So to be agile, you have to be able to accept change and get comfortable with change and and sort of get in in amongst it. Um, And I think that's going to require people at all levels of the organization being flexible, being responsive, but also with a focus on fast, intentional and dynamic action while innovating and collaborating and taking risks and, of course, learning every step of the way. So no small feat. Yeah, I think one of the points you, you touched on there, which which really I think hits it hits home, is this idea that it's culture enabled. I think that's it's the the very bedrock of the whole thing. And and you also touched on collaboration and innovation, and that that's um, they've been two of the the watchwords, I suppose, for leaders over the past uh, year or more during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and the challenges that have come along with those. Um, how we work together, obviously, has completely transformed. But I suppose I'm curious to get your opinion on how leaders can best organize their teams and whether that's on site or or virtually um, to ensure that new idea generation, which is so, so important for businesses, remains robust. No, completely. I mean, I've always said that 
you know, we're all moving into this uncharted territory. Um, and I think there has never been a more pertinent time than to tap into our greatest resource. And our greatest resource is still and will always be our people, in my view. Um, and I still also maintain that all the best solutions lie within. We, I don't think any one leader should feel like they're alone on this journey. I don't feel like any one leader should even consider that they need to have all the answers because they don't and they don't need to. And that really it creates a, a lovely opportunity to go back to the start and realign our team's purpose, you know, rip up the old agreements and start afresh. Look to develop new rituals, new rhythms and new team charters and get the team to agree how best to generate ideas, brainstorm and innovate on an ongoing basis. You know, get them to actually commit to that and see it as an essential part of how we're going to navigate this, this new landscape into the new field of the modern way of working and create a real positive energy around it. You know, um, get the, you know, because people actually feeling like their ideas are being listened to or that they are part of the solutions moving forward. It is a fantastic way to build trust. It's a fantastic way to increase people's value and contribution in a team setting. And it's a brilliant way to increase people's commitment um, and engagement levels within, within the team and within the organization, which ultimately creates a much better output. Um, so I think, look, we have, there's so many amazing tools now that, that can be used in a virtual setting, you know, Zoom and Mural. And, you know, I've had some incredibly um, effective um, idea generation sessions done in a complete virtual platform. Um, so again, we don't have to be in the room to innovate and generate ideas. Um, although I think it is it, it is nice to think about creating those those spaces and those times where we can get a whole team back in the room because that's how we build team dynamics. That's how we build relationships, and that's how we we build culture. Um, but one tip I am hearing that some organisations are currently struggling to get. To transition, you know, a, a you know a percentage of their workforce back, um, and a tip that I would give is that don't wait. This is absolutely the time to be getting together to generate ideas, and that if you can't get the whole team back in the room, then you can actually. Um, I recently did a session with a client where two people weren't in the room; uh, the rest of the team were, but we still had everybody on Zoom. So, for example, we had eight people in. We had eight people in room. Two people working remotely, but all ten people were on screen in the room on Zoom. And the only difference is that we were still all together working virtually as a team. But then, when we did breakout sessions, the two people on Zoom went into a virtual breakout room, and the people in the room went into physical groups. So again, I think there's a there's loads of different ways of how we can still bring a whole team together, even if it's hybrid. Absolutely. And it's such a fascinating time as well when we look forward and we see all these different possibilities for collaboration, as you say there, with the kind of virtual versus in-person split. And you know, that I mean, within we're using Zoom now, within two or three years, there might be another platform that will be using yeah. that's very similar, but empowers us to do different things. So you just never know. Father, one of the things that really struck me from your webinar actually was um, was a story you told about 
uh, during the pandemic, a father being able to uh, pick up his daughter from school and this kind of ritual that was yeah. created by the, the freedom that was given, I suppose, from the flexibility that, that was happening with work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned that work is it should be designed to build better societies, not simply to build better organizations. And I think that struck a chord with many people at the webinar. Um, w- would you be able to expand on that and maybe just go into a little bit how compassionate leadership is so important? Oh, yeah, I mean, this, this is something I feel really passionate about. And I think this is the one big aspect of COVID I really, really hope we don't miss the point on because we have all burst the bubble uh, around the need for presenteeism in the office in order to be highly effective. It's gone. We don't need to get all our people traveling into work at the same time, sitting in a traffic jam every morning, you know, logging in the hours from nine to five and then sitting in a traffic jam all the way home, um, missing out on what that gentleman called the joy of life. And it really stuck with me that for the first time in his career, two days a week, he was able to leave work, um, go up to the school, pick up his children and, and bring them home and do their homework with them. And I just think that we can't lose that. We can't let our people lose that because that is an incredibly effective and important way to be able to create a work plus life fit around our talent, around our people. Um, and I think any smart employer will ensure that this continues to be built into anybody's working week. Um, and I think there's another, another aspect that I'm seeing a real trend towards is that there seems to be we're, we're, we're leaking a lot of female senior talent from the marketplace. And I think what is happening, I'll give you even a, a personal example. I have a very, very close friend and met at university. Um, very talented at what she does. She's worked for a large corporate organization for 22 years. And during the pandemic, she came to the reflection that if she didn't change something, that she just couldn't do it all. She was either going to lose her marriage or lose her mind. So she has now chosen to back away from a 22-year career and has taken up a position, a part-time position as a teaching assistant. And I could just talk about this topic all day long because has that organization completely missed the point? And if they were bringing more compassion in and more flexibility and were working with this amazingly talented uh, person, could that outcome have been different? And the answer is absolutely yes. So I think this humility um, and this compassion um, that's, and allowing people to have a healthier work-life fit will ultimately just produce so much more positive outcome for the organization, for the individual, and for society as a whole. So I think, again, don't underestimate. I just plead with organizations to not underestimate that actually bringing in compassionate leadership with an abundancy of empathy and trust and you know, welcoming vulnerability and humility and understanding will only make their organization stronger and more ta- and more attractive to talent. 
Absolutely. And I think that's a really nice way of framing it as well. This idea of work life fit. I think that's, that's a really nice way of uh, putting that. And you, you touched on trust there, Paula, and that's obviously going to be vital for organizations going forward and indeed has been um, for a long time. But um, you, you kind of looked at it in an interesting way during your webinar and you said that uh, trust allows for complex interactions. I thought that was a very interesting uh, take. Oh. So why is, some, uh, why is trust um, something that leaders should have front of mind as we move forward? Well, I think even pre-COVID, um, you know, few leaders at that point would, would have argued against the idea that trust was necessary for building elite performance. I mean, we all, we all sort of knew that. Um, but I think not nearly enough leaders maybe realised the height of its importance and maybe disregarded, you know, the need to trust build um, as a soft or secondary competency or a, a nice to have. And what I've learned about trust in all the years that it's been an expert area of mine is that it's the one thing that changes absolutely everything. It's it's because without it, every single part of the organization can fall into disrepair. And with it, with trust, all things are possible. Most importantly, continuous improvement and sustainable, measurable, tangible results in the marketplace with and through your people. So I think, you know, years ago when I was talking to CEOs about the importance of trust, they'd be like, it's a bit sort of huggy and emotional and behavioral and, you know, touchy and feely, but it, it's, it's absolutely not. It's essential. It's deeply strategic and highly, highly effective. Um, and I think that why, why I feel very passionate about trust when it comes to leadership communication is that leadership communication is so challenging. You know, it can be very lonely in a leadership position. And if, you're, if the trust levels are low, your communication is just next to impossible to land. So because if there are low levels of trust, every single aspect of what you're saying is, is coming from a, a weak relationship. So it's brittle and it's fraught with miscommunication and misunderstanding. Whereas if you trust me and trust in what, I what I'm trying to say and that I fundamentally have your back as one of my people, then it just means that what I'm trying to do on behalf of the organization and on behalf of the teams and the individuals within it, that it will land, that it will be believed and that people will genuinely believe that it's coming from a place of goodwill. And what I find more than ever is that our leaders need to make their people feel safe. It's very, very difficult to do that if there's no trust formulated into the equation. And we need to be able to do that by living out our own commitment to what, what does that mean? It's about being bolder. It's about being more vulnerable as leaders. Um, and until we do that, it will not be mirrored effectively by our people. But what they want and need more than ever is reliable and authentic leaders that they can challenge and bring their problems to and bring their vulnerabilities to and work with them. Yeah, really well said. And I think, yeah, trust is such a foundational piece. And I think it's going to be even more important now as we as we move forward into this kind of, I suppose, complex and changing business environments that leaders are entering into. There's, there's been a lot of, uh, obviously, there's been a lot of challenges over the past 18 to 20 months for leaders. But as we look forward, uh, Paula, what do you see as the major maybe obstacle or challenge that leaders might face as they build their team cultures through this hybrid lens? 
Oh, I think, I mean, I'm not going to underplay this by any stretch of the imagination. I think this is probably one of the biggest leadership challenges of our times, certainly in, in my career and many people's careers that I'm, that I'm speaking with. So I think one of the big obstacles for leaders initially is going to be working through the resistance and the fear and the uncertainty that people will be experiencing when transitioning back to the office environment and trying to negotiate a hybrid working arrangement that suits the individuals, the team and the organization while trying to deliver on short term actions and goals and the needs of the business while sensing future possibilities and strategies for the new modern way of working. So I think how to achieve that in a fair and inclusive way while ensuring commitment and engagement from your people, that's going to be a challenge. So we're going to have to like up our communication by by 10 times 10. We're going to have to be really, really reaching out and listening to connect with our people with real empathy. Um, Because what's also going to come into the mix is that that's going to be a really hard thing to do consistently and do well. And then you're going to end up having to manage layers of unconscious bias and fallout from it. So you're going to have people that aren't happy or aren't comfortable coming back. You're going to have people that are comfortable coming back. And then you're going to have a whole quagmire of unconscious bias being fed into the, into the team dynamics and team, team environment. Then add in another layer of complexity, which is your skills, skills shortages and high, high levels of attrition um, in the marketplace at the moment is, uh, is actually adding another layer of complexity. Um, talent, our talent is being headhunted and offered massive um, uplifts and pay from competitors, which just a lot of organizations can't compete, compete with. So they're losing their really good people. Um, so yeah, all in all, it's a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, but the only comforting thing that I can say is that we're all we're all in it. I was talking to a client yesterday that was not only experiencing all that, so high levels of attrition, getting their talent headhunted, people resistant to come back into the workplace, but they'd also gone through a massive merger and acquisition. So the culture that they once had was now in a completely different space. And essentially, you know, they were they were they're in a perfect storm, but they can get through it and they can get through it with the right mindset and the right approach. So, again, a whole new uncharted territory of work that will present one of the most challenging leadership goals of our times and how we approach this paradox in terms of our leadership habits and behaviours will be at the core of our success. So, again, how we move forward with it will be the differentiator. Absolutely. And, you know, th- there is no roadmap, uh, Paula, but now I'm going to ask you to, um, if you have it handy, uh, take out your crystal ball and uh, look <laughs> for it a bit. Um, wh- so what do you think will be the ideal hybrid working model when the dust settles? Like, what does that look like to you? And how realistic is it that that will continue in the long term? Oh, that is a hard question. Um, and if I had the answer to this, I think I would be a very rich <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to get the answer to it. But look, all I know, my genuine answer is that I just don't know yet. And I think I'm encouraging all leaders to be able to own that one. We just don't know yet. This is just, we don't have a crystal ball. There is probably no 
secret silver bullet that's going to solve all this. Um, I think, you know, the ideal hybrid working model, like culture, okay? So if this is a, a fundamentally, if agile leadership comes from a fundamental culturally enabled place, every culture is so different and every ideal hybrid working model will be different as well. And because it will vary depending on the business and its culture and its leadership team and the industry it operates in and multiple other factors and, you know, the type of team dynamics that, that are in play. And But what I do know is that we are amid a fundamental management mindset shift. And I predict that we are further down the line going to see an explosion of globalization where talent will, will no longer be restricted by geography. Time zones, cities, they, don't, they won't need to be in the city that the organization is based in. They won't even be limited by hemisphere. Um, and I think talent will be able to search the world over for their jobs and the companies are going to be able to be able to do the same so that the talent is going to be able to pick who, the type of organization they want to work for um, and the companies over the world are going to go looking for that talent. And I think if organizations don't see this as a potential part of the future, they might really battle to find and retain the talent that they so deeply need in order to thrive as an organization. So what do we do? Um, so how do we respond essentially to a work anywhere revolution? And I think that is where we are heading into the future of the modern way of working. Um, and like I say, sadly, there is no magic bullet to achieving this. But the companies that I work with, the companies that I believe are more aligned to capitalizing on this are doing five distinct things. And this is what I sort of I want to leave. I want to leave somebody, I want to leave you with something tangible that people can actually take away from this podcast and go, okay, where are we with regards to these five pillars? Um, and I think these five pillars will be essential in building an effective hybrid or work from anywhere culture. So I think the first one, and again, it's all going to be around how we do it. The first one is belonging. So creating a sense of identity um, and team dynamic. And in a remote environment or in a hybrid environment, you need to be much more deliberate about this because we may never get all these teams back into the room on a, on a full-time ongoing basis. Um, I don't think we will. So I think in a remote environment, we do need to be more deliberate about it. And we need to really, really work out how to create that sense of belonging. So I think that's the first pillar, belonging. Uh, in a hybrid team environment or a work anywhere environment. I think the second pillar is mastery. So again, this is about competence and confidence um, in what you contribute to your team. So what does your team need and what are you contributing to that? And I think it is, it's that ongoing ability that people know that they have the potential to get better and grow within the team and be developed. Um, and I think in a remote environment, managers will need to ensure that any talent or skills gaps are filled so that they know where the skills and talent gaps are and they're filling them with training and development. So I think mastery is the, is the second big pillar that you're going to need to be really on, particularly in a hybrid or work anywhere uh, model. 
I think the third pillar is autonomy. So again, I think autonomy is, is like at the heart of it all. It's about letting people just get on with it. So it's like my tight, loose, tight model from Sig Breck, you know, that loose bit in the middle where you're empowering people, giving them the freedom. Um, so you can't do that unless you provide total clarity about what needs to be done, when it needs to be done by, and then let your people get on with it. Um, don't measure them on their hours logged, measure them on the outcome, outcomes they produce. And it's not about leaving them alone. It's not about, well, look, I've, I've given you a bit of information here. Are you clear about what you what I need you to do? And then you never speak to them again. I think it's it's just making sure that you can't give anybody autonomy unless they feel that they are aligned to, they unless they feel they belong, unless they have the mastery, which were the first two pillars, you can't just, the, the autonomy piece won't work. So if you think about the sort of, belonging and the mastery and the autonomy it is so similar to the tight loose tight approach and you need all three pillars in place in order to be able for that to work and then the, the last two pillars are generosity that's all about compassion and empathy and about helping each other and being there for each other and again really really bringing that compassionate leadership um, into into the forefront um, and again, allowing people to get have a real sort of sense that they are not only part of um, being good and supportive within their team, that it's actually filtering into their work plus life fit and into society. And then the last pillar is purpose. So again, um, giving people a sense of purpose they're, that they're making a difference in the world. And I think in the remote setting, we can create a purpose for each person to manage work around their lives, which can provide a general sense of, of well-being um, and overall purpose in terms of living a good work plus life fit and being there for all the special moments that none of us really want to miss out on. So just to recap, those five pillars were belonging, mastery, autonomy, generosity and purpose. For me, that's a fantastic place to that's a fantastic place to navigate the landscape moving forward. A phenomenal blueprint there, Paul. Yeah, definitely for moving forward. And I want to thank you so much for the time okay. today. Really appreciate it. You are very welcome. My pleasure, David.